Hello everyone, this is Jim Lucy, Editor-in-Chief for Electrical Wholesaling and Electrical Marketing with the December 6th edition of the Today's Electrical Economy podcast sponsored by Champion Fiberglass. The company began producing epoxy fiberglass conduit and fittings in 1988 and in 1989 developed the first conduit from epoxy resins that had flame resistance and low smoke characteristics. This met the most stringent codes and specifications. Today's broadcast will take a look at some contractor employment trends and, as always, review some key weekly economic indicators that will give you a sense of where the electrical economy may be headed in the coming weeks. These indicators are initial unemployment claims at the state level, rail freight car traffic, the Baker Hughes rig count, oil prices, and copper prices. Our thanks again to Champion Fiberglass for once again sponsoring the Today's Electrical Economy series of podcasts for 2021. We're delighted to be working with Champion. For the week ending November the 27th, the advanced figure for seasonally adjusted initial unemployment claims was 222,000, an increase of 28,000 from the previous week's revised level. When you look at the data on a four-week moving average level, it's 238,750. That's a decrease of 12,250 from the previous week's revised moving average. It's the lowest level for this average since March 14, 2020. That's the depth of the COVID pandemic when it was 225,000. Economists were happy to see that the November unemployment rate fell by 0.4% to 4.2% on a U.S. level. Ten states had decreases of at least 1,000 unemployment claims for the week ending November the 27th. Leading the list was Virginia with a decline of 9,128. Texas was second with a decline of 5,991. California was down 4,568 claims to 47,922. Michigan was down 2,739, down to 8,915. 8, New Jersey was down 2,457 to 6,537. Oklahoma was down just over 2,000 claims at 2,069. Florida, very close, also down 2,023 claims. Georgia was down 912 claims. Alabama, ninth on the list with a decrease of 1,857 claims, and New York was down 1,849 claims to 13,115. Only two states had increases of at least 1,000 claims for the week ending November the 27th. They were North Carolina with an increase of 2,394 claims, and Wisconsin with an increase of 1,108 claims. One of the more interesting leading economic indicators for the overall U.S. economy is freight rail traffic because it's a measure of the amount of raw materials and finished goods being shipped by rail. The best source for this data is the American Association of Railroads, or AAR. It publishes this data weekly at www.aar.org. Freight rail traffic for the week ending November the 27th was down a bit from the week previous. That's due in part because of the Thanksgiving holiday. The news is actually really pretty good on the freight rail front, with many of the different categories showing increases. AAR Senior Vice President John T. Gray said in the press release that 15 of the 20 carload categories that they track have seen year-to-date carload increases. Coal leads the way with the cars loads up more than 11,000, and that's basically an increase of 306,000 carloads, and that's because of the price of natural gas to, for electrical generators has doubled since the beginning of the year. Chemicals, grain, and commodities related to steelmaking have also, also shown solid car gr- growth this year, he said. There was only one category showing a year-to-date decrease, and that's petroleum and petroleum products with a decrease of 3.9%. Metallic ores and metals had a 25.6% year-over-year increase, and coal was up 11.6%.
If you track the oil market, you might be familiar with the Baker Hughes rig count, which tracks the oil and gas rigs that are operating. The data is available for free at the state, basin, and national levels at www.rigcount.bakerhughes.com. This slide gives you an idea of the largest oil and gas deposits. It really gives you a sense of just how many of the large oil plays are in Texas and Oklahoma, and how big an area the Marcellus gas region covers in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and parts of West Virginia. When you look at the data on a year-over-year -year basis, as far as, as the number of rigs, these are the states that had the largest increases. Texas is leading the pack with 122 more oil rigs operating. It's followed by Oklahoma with an increase of 31 rigs, New Mexico with an increase of 29 rigs, North Dakota with an increase of 16 rigs, and Wyoming, which is up 14 rigs. When you look at the most recent year-over-year -year data, no surprise that two of the largest oil plays are in Texas with the biggest increases. You've got the Permian Basin, 119 more rigs operating right now compared to last year. The Eagle Ford play, up 19 compared to last year. It also showing some increase to Williston, up 16 rigs over last year, and that's in North Dakota. And the kind of Woodford play in Texas, Oklahoma, which is up 14 rigs from last year. It's been a bit of a wild ride with oil prices recently, and they broke through their 50-day moving average on November the 17th. They're currently significantly below their recent peak of $80 per barrel. At midday on Monday, December the 6th, they were around $67.93 per barrel. Economists like to call copper pricing Dr. Copper because it's the leading indicator for future economic activity. That's because copper is used in so many different industries, with the construction industry leading one of the leading markets because of its use in wiring cable and copper plumbing pipe. Copper prices on Monday, December 6th, were around $4.30 per pound. That's pretty much right on their 50-day moving average. Despite all the volatility in the metal markets as a whole in recent months, over the past 50 days, copper has settled into a comparatively narrow trading range right around its 50-day moving average. I thought it might also be interesting today to look at the prices for hot rolled coil steel futures, which are in, in terms of a dollar per ton. Earlier this year, they had gotten as high as $1,850 per ton, which is more than double what they were at that time last year. They are, well, they have declined since then and are currently below their move, the 50-day moving average. They're riding about around $1,600 per ton uh, through, through the, our latest data through the end of November. I thought we'd finish up today's broadcast by looking at some interesting trends in contractor employment data. Electrical contractor employment is running at a 3.3% increase over the last year. It's up to 983,900. When you look at electrical contractor employment over the past 10 years, you can see that it's grown annually in the 3% to 4% range. It saw its largest single drop historically between 2008 and 2009, plunging more than 12%. When it declined during COVID, that decline was less than 2%. One of the other ways to look at electrical contractor employment is to compare to the other subcontractor employment categories. Electrical contracts account for approximately 13% of total construction employment. It's second to only plumbing and HVAC equipment when you look at it on that basis. Each of those employees represents approximately $73,260 in buying power. You might be familiar with that multiplier when you look with the electrical wholesaling market planning guide. When you look at the chart here of all the other major contractors, you can see why electrical contractors com command such a large mind share on the construction sites. You can see that some, most of the other 
different types of subcontractors have fairly small as a percent of the whole. You, you can see that residential remodelers are about 5%. New single family general contractors are about 4.9%. You've got drywall installation contractor about 3.5%. Roofing contractors at 2.9%. Painting and wall covering about 2.6%. Masonry contractors at about 1.9%. Framing contractors at 1.1%. Glass contractors and glazing, that's about 1% siding at a 0.5% and, and tile contracts at a 0.8%. I, I find this chart particularly interesting. Uh, during my college summers, I used to work for a number of different types of subcontractors. I, I spent a year one summer working on a, a luxury single family home construction project in Montclair, New Jersey. And I was fascinated by the number of contractors that were in and out of the house during that day. I would happen to be working for the uh, finished carpentry company, but to, just to see the other people that were on there, whether whether the framing, the masonry, uh, the drywall, it was of, of interest. Didn't realize at that point I'd be getting into the electrical business, but the electricians when they're on site, they always were sort of considered to be the wizards of the trades there because of the knowledge that you need to install electrical systems. I thought that was kind of interesting. They used to get a lot of ribbing on that, but it was uh, they definitely were pretty high on the uh, stack of other contractors, at least, uh, at least with those guys that uh, I was working for then. That wraps things up for today's podcast. Special thanks to the folks from Champion Fiberglass for sponsoring the Today's Electrical Economy podcast series in 2021. Please contact me if there's any other types of economic data you would like us to cover in these podcasts. Our next presentation will be on Monday, December 20th. Until then, be well, be happy, and look forward to talking with you on the 20th.